0: It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations. We cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz.
1: I've got great news for you. Sportsman shows, they are back. I attended and exhibited at both the Washington Sportsman Show in Puyallup and the Big Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show in Portland, Oregon this past month. And I'll tell you what, the attendance at both events was amazing. Way, way up over past years. I got the same word about the annual Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic that took place last week in Minneapolis. And get this. According to the National Rifle Association, more than 200,000 people attended the Great American Outdoors show in Harrisburg, PA earlier this month. That is a mind-boggling number and 35,000 more people than attended last year. And you know what? Show season, it's not over. Out on the West Coast, the Central Oregon Sportsman Show will go off in Redmond at the Deschutes County Fairgrounds March 9th through the 12th. The Bighorn Outdoor Adventure Show returns to the fairgrounds in Spokane from March 16th through the 19th. and Heading to California, the Bart Hall Show, formerly known as the Fred Hall Show, returns to the Long Beach Convention Center in California March 29th through April 2nd. Also out west, from March 16th through the 19th, is the International Sportsman's Expo's big show in Salt Lake City. Heading to the East Coast, the New Hampshire Outdoor Expo will happen March 10th through the 12th in Milford, and the Great Northeast Boat Show will run the following week, the 17th through the 19th, at the New Hampshire Sportplex in Bedford. That same weekend in Edison, New Jersey, you can also attend the Saltwater Fishing Expo. Finally, you can't leave out the Midwest, where if you're not ice fishing, you can go to the Red River Valley Sportsman Show March 2nd through the 5th at the Fargo Dome in Fargo, North Dakota. And don't forget the 56th annual Sioux Empire Sportsman Show the following week. March 9th through the 12th at the Convention Center in Sioux Falls. The bottom line? Join the crowds at the shows this year, check out the exhibitors, book a trip, get some great deals from retailers, and learn some good stuff at the seminars, and don't forget to bring the kids while you're at it. This week on America Outdoors Radio, we've got three segments for you recorded at the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show in Portland, Oregon last week. To include a conversation with Tom Schneider, he's with Stuck in the Rut, a very popular hunting channel on YouTube. We'll also talk to Roy Klingler, the owner of a ranch in eastern Idaho that is the home for Idaho elk outfitters. They are teaming up to put on an elk hunting camp in June, and you are invited to attend. They will tell you more about this opportunity to really learn the ins and outs of elk hunting and up your game just after the bottom of the hour. Another person we met at the show was Danielle Doyle with the Alaska Department of Transportation. She was there to promote Alaska's Marine Highway, where you can actually ride 3,500 miles on state ferries from Bellingham, Washington, to Prince Rupert, British Columbia, through all the coastal Alaskan cities, and all the way to the Aleutian Islands, with lots of stops in between. If you are looking for a novel way to explore Alaska's coastline, and maybe stay a few days at towns or villages along the way and have some adventures, this is a great way to do it we are also talking to a great guest that wasn't at the show that would be well-known outdoors writer and photographer keith crowley who just got back from southern arizona where he had quite the adventure and an injury to go with it while hunting mern's quail never heard of that species before they are unique and found only in a couple of places in the southwest and keith will tell you all about them in a few minutes before we talk to keith though Let me introduce you to another guest I met at the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we've got more audio for you from the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show in Portland, Oregon, the second biggest show in the entire nation. And I am always on the lookout for products that I think may be of interest to you as an outdoors enthusiast. And you know what? I found one. Not only did I find one, I'm sitting in it now. It is a comfy, oversized, camp chair that actually will keep your butt and body hot too. It's called Sitting Like It's Hot, and I'm with one of the co-founders, Darcy Pfeiffer. Darcy, welcome to the show. Thank you. So you and your husband, Tim, you live in near Vancouver, Washington, and you came up with this idea. How did this come about?
2: Our oldest son plays tournament baseball, and I was tired of sitting through doubleheaders being cold.
1: That makes perfect sense, and you basically have two choices. You're either in the stands on a little pad, and your butt gets cold, or you can bring a camp chair, and it's cold out, and you're going to get cold. So was there anything like this on the market before?
2: There are other ones, but nothing like ours.
1: So number one, I like the fact that it's oversized, and I I like the fact that it's, it's really plush and comfortable, too.
2: Yes. I have the armchairs that come up a little bit higher, and the neck comes up a little bit higher, so you're just nice and enclosed.
1: And then you have the heating elements in it. How does that work?
2: There are coils in the seat and the back, and it has three settings, high, medium, and low.
1: So what setting are we on right now?
2: You're on a high setting right now.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, after being on my feet all day at the Sportsman Show, this feels perfect. It feels therapeutic. It feels like I could fall asleep in your booth and your <laughs> camp chair here. So again, sitting like it's hot, you come up with this idea, okay, let's put this together. Oh, and before we go any further, how is it powered?
2: It's powered by any USB power bank that you may have at home.
1: Okay, well that's great. So you don't have to worry about a plug-in. If you're out in the woods, as long as you got a charged-up USB power bank, it's going to work. How long does it work?
2: A power bank will last on high setting for six to eight hours.
1: Well, that'll get you through a whole day of uh, watching your kid play baseball or any other sport. And not only that, I mean, I'm looking at these and I'm thinking, these are great. If you're car camping, these are fantastic. If you are out at elk camp or deer camp or duck camp because even though they're oversized they are still camp chairs they're still very light easy to pack and you've got a carrying case for them i mean this is just perfect for outdoors enthusiasts of all types not to mention sporting enthusiasts
2: yes i can get through a whole double header on one battery pack and don't forget the cup holders
1: oh yes that's important you do have cup holders and a little pocket to put like your keys or anything else you want to put in there too that's just fabulous so you come up with this concept. How did you actually go about designing it and bringing it onto the marketplace?
2: I came home one day and told my husband we needed to figure out how I could not be cold. I told him my idea, and he did a couple prototypes, and we just kind of tweaked it until then.
1: So you and your husband literally just came up with this by yourselves? Correct. You two are a lot smarter than Oliver B. will tell you what. So you go through the prototype process. You figure it out, okay, I think we're ready to go to market. How does that work?
2: A lot of trial and error.
1: <laughs> how did you find somebody who could produce them, and where are they produced?
2: They're produced overseas.
1: Okay. So do you just approach like a manufacturer and say, this is my idea? How much would it cost to produce this? And is that how the conversation goes?
2: It's exactly how it went, yes.
1: How long ago was it that you went from prototype to coming on the market? Because I don't think it's been that long.
2: No, it hasn't. It was about a year and a half ago.
1: Now, you've been selling these at the show here, and you've sold a lot of them at the show here. It's been a well-attended show. But when you told me how much you sold, I was floored. Why don't you give, give me that figure?
2: Well over 100.
1: And that was mainly just in one day, wasn't it? Correct. So you're probably sitting at more like 150, 160, maybe close to 200 before the show's done. Correct. Oh my gosh. and folks, that is something else. What is the price for the?
2: The price on Amazon and our website is 179.99.
1: And these look pretty durable. I mean, I think they're going to hold up for years of sporting events or years of camping. I think they will. There you go, folks. Go to Amazon. Look for Sittin', no G, Like It's Hot. That's Sittin' Like It's Hot. You're never going to have a cold butt again, and you're never going to be uncomfortable in the great outdoors, whether you're watching your kids' sports or whether you're by the campfire or waiting for the campfire to get going or just sitting around with the guys and gals at camp. Sitting Like It's Hot is your recipe for comfort outside. Anything else you want to add before we go, Darcy?
2: Thank you for having
1: me. Well, thank you for inventing this. I absolutely love it. Again, Sitting Like It's Hot, look for it online at Amazon. Order it today for $179.99. Thanks, Darcy. Thank you. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now, and there's a reason. They are the only Alaska lodge we talk about on this show. It's because they're truly Alaska's best lodge. The adventure starts with a float plane ride from Ketchikan, after which you'll get the chance to experience some of the best hospitality, food, and wonderful people you'll ever meet. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing, halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge.
3: Looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? Then set the hook because we've got it right here. America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer an affordable platform to reach thousands of listeners interested in fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. Find out more by contacting host John Cruz through his website at AmericaOutdoorsRadio.com. That's AmericaOutdoorsRadio.com. But hurry, if you wait too long, this big opportunity might just get away. That's AmericaOutdoorsRadio.com. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com
1: you're back in with america outdoors radio i'm john cruz we're catching up with keith crowley very well-known outdoors writer and photographer coming at us from florida today where he's gonna do some fishing but he just finished up a quail hunt in arizona keith welcome to the show always a pleasure to be on your show i'm
4: glad to be here and i love talking about quail hunting in particular but i'll talk about anything outdoor related if you want me to
1: well let's stick to quail hunting today because i'm very intrigued about the species of quail you were hunting most quail seasons are closed across the united states but the marins quail season in arizona and new mexico runs pretty late both just closed tell us a little bit about this species of quail
4: yeah, merns, some people call them Montezuma. I think if you went to the the birding community, they call them Montezuma quail. They tend to live at higher elevations than the other desert quail, the gambles quail or the scaled quail that we have down in the desert southwest in New Mexico and in Arizona and parts of Nevada. The merns or the, the Montezumas, they tend to live between 4,500, 6,500 feet in elevation, and they like wooded draws. mostly live oak, sycamore, some junipers, and that type of cover, as opposed to open cactus and, and grassland and the, the same type of habitat that the desert quail prefer. So they're in a slightly different topography. It tends to be more vertical, more up and
1: down, and it pays to be fit, and it pays to be nimble, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a little bit. Well, it sounds a little bit like chucker hunting to me, which is a young man's sport. It is. Chuckers, you know, I always equate chucker hunting as the sheep hunting
4: of the upland world. That tends to be a little steeper. And I think chuckers, the habitat they prefer, tends to be a little more shaly and rocky, where myrns really do need the trees. They have very large claws and they dig for a root. I wish I could remember the name of the plant that they subsist on at this time of year. And so they spend their whole time under these live oaks and sycamores and other trees digging. And that's one of the ways you can actually tell if you're in Mern's habitat, you'll see all these little pockets that are dug up under the trees, and you know you're in the right area for Mern's quail.
1: You know, I'm used to hunting California valley quail and sagebrush in eastern Washington. You always find them in the sagebrush. It's going to sound like a silly question, but when we're talking about sycamores and oak, are you actually flushing them or finding them sometimes in the trees themselves? I have not actually ever They've always been on the ground because that's where they're feeding. But
4: I have seen photos of them perched in trees. I've just never encountered that myself. So, you know, I, I would never say never with any kind of upland bird, but I haven't seen it myself. I'm sure it, just like sometimes you'll see scaled quails perched up on big choya cactuses or whatever. Uh, I'm sure they get up there for vantage points sometimes, but I personally have never managed to put up a covey that wasn't on the ground.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about your hunt. What drew me to this conversation was a Facebook post you had. And I guess the best way to describe at least the picture I saw on Facebook was that your hunt looked particularly painful. Yeah. Yeah, like I said it pays to be nimble with merns
4: because you're you're doing a lot of up and down and I took a a pretty good spill that I'm still paying for now a couple of weeks later turns out I ended up cracking a bone in my elbow. Oh. And so, yeah, and, and so the photo you saw was a little on the bloody side. I bled quite a bit without knowing it because I was wearing this happened early in the morning and it was icy. One of the things where merns live even though you're almost to Mexico, you're way, way down south in southern Arizona, you're at higher elevations and you get a lot of frosts overnight. And boy, I was barely out of the truck going down into my first draw looking for a covey with a friend and I hit an icy rock. I came down hard. Happened to have my my shotgun in that hand. I saved the gun, but I took a real blow on my elbow and it tore me open which I didn't know until I could feel the the blood trickling into my clothing. So, that kind of put a damper on the morning, but amazingly it, it wasn't that painful until about 2 days later. So, I hunted for the rest
1: of that day and we found a few coveys and we did pretty well actually. I hope you continue to heal ups, and that happens sooner (laughs) than later. Let's talk a little bit about the dog you hunt over.
4: Yeah, I have a new setter pup, an English setter. Her name is Ruby. She is not quite two years old, so she's still learning the game. She's had a lot of birds shot over already, though, between Montana and where I live ordinarily in northern Wisconsin. We have rough grouse and woodcock, and she does just fine on them. When you get her down into the desert, there's a learning curve, because especially with the the gambles and the scaled quail, they are runners. They run like little rooster pheasants. And so it can be really tough for a, for a dog to pin a cubby. She does fine on singles. But she needs a lot of work. And that's one of the reasons we targeted merns quite a bit this past January is because they hold, unlike the desert quail, unlike the blues, which scale quail sometimes are called blues, and the gambles quail, Merns hold very tight. They hold almost as well as woodcock do. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, you really almost have to get right into the middle of the covey for them to go. So they're very good for a young dog, and she handles Merns a lot better than she does the, the runners. So that was part of the reason to bring her down is to get her on a bunch of Mern's quail. This year, it was a good year for Merns too. They're very uh, dependent on monsoon rains that happen down in that part of the country in the summer. So they get their their heavy rains in July and August, and the Merns quail, they nest very And they require those late rains to produce the grasses, the seeds, and probably most importantly, the insects that the young quail need to survive. And they got that
1: last year. They had very good monsoons down there. And so the Merns numbers are very good. Very good to hear this. Sounds like a a great bird to hunt, especially in the late season. I guess my last question is this. Were most of these hunts taking place on public lands and what resources would you direct folks to if they wanted to plan a hunt in the winter for myrn's quail?
4: Well, it's all public land as far as what I did. There are ranches that cater to uh, guides and lodging, but 90% of the territory down there is either national forest, BLM, or state trust land. So everything I hunted and I was down for the whole month of January, the entire area, I never left public lands. So Merns are very limited geographically. While they're really prevalent in Mexico, they only exist right kind of in the southeastern corner of Arizona, the southwesternmost corner of New Mexico. So there's very limited opportunities in terms of range. But within that range, you're gonna find myrns any place that you find the right habitat, and again, that's the the live oaks and the wooded draws, and you know, hunt around five to six thousand feet. That's the elevation they tend to prefer. And the BLM and the Forest Service biologists, they they'll give you directions on where to go. The numbers vary from mountain range to mountain range. I don't know if you, have you been down in that country before?
1: I have not. Though this conversation is make me want to go there next winter.
4: <laughs> well, they call it the Sky Islands, and that's because there's all these independent little mountain ranges. There's mountain ranges all over down there, the Mule Mountains, the Chiricahuas, the Whetstones. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of little mountain ranges and they're all separated by big high chaparral grass and desert, high desert country. And the Merns are in all those little pockets of mountains, all those sky islands. So basically anywhere south of Tucson, south and east of Tucson is where all of the all of the merns habitat is in arizona
1: well we're going to have to leave it at that but folks if you're looking for a bucket list quail to hunt the merns quail certainly sounds like a great opportunity you can do so after a lot of the seasons close and do so in some beautiful desert country to boot keith thanks for sharing your hunt with our listeners today on america outdoors radio my pleasure thanks so much for having me This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And if you are hunting this fall, you know the importance of a sharp knife. You're going to need it for gutting that animal, butchering that animal, taking the hide off that animal, and there's a good chance you're going to have to sharpen it more than once while you're doing these things in the field. That's why a pocket knife sharpener or the guided field sharpener from WorkSharp are great items to have with you. Whether you're after deer, elk, pronghorn, or bear... A sharp knife helps you get things done after you drop that animal. Look for WorkSharp products at sporting goods stores, hardware stores, and ranch and home stores near you, or online at WorkSharpTools.com. That's WorkSharpTools.com.
3: Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization
1: Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've been telling you about some camps you can attend to become a better hunter. Recently, we told you about the Mountain Buck Camp in Pennsylvania for white-tailed deer hunters. We told you about a Blacktail boot camp for black deer hunters. Well, now we've got something else to tell you about. It is the Stuck in the Rut Elk Camp taking place June 26th through the 30th in eastern Idaho. With us here to tell you more about it is Tom Schneider with Stuck in the Rut and Roy Klingler with Idaho Elk Outfitters. Gentlemen, welcome to
5: the show. Hey, thank you so much for having us. I appreciate it. Thank you, John.
1: Let's start off with Stuck in the Rut, very popular YouTube channel. Tell our listeners a little bit more about
5: it. Yeah, so we started back in 2010. I mean, my family, we've grown up hunting. We're surrounded by three different mountain ranges and... We've hunted general tag, DIY, public land hunting my entire life. So I feel fortunate. I grew up hunting on public land. And so we've, we've gained really confident in what we do. And not just killing any elk or mule deer, but we kill quality. I think that's probably the biggest thing people always say is like, I just can't believe the quality of animals you pull on public land. And we started a YouTube channel back in 2010. And it, since then, it's just skyrocketed. And we have a lot of people that recognize us from our channel we appreciate everybody's support. And the one thing that I would always said to people is like, you know, I just never necessarily wanted to get into guiding myself. I've got a lot of people that call me to like, hey, I would love to do a guided hunt with you guys. And I'm just like, that's just not us. We like to hunt for what we do and fill our freezer. But we thought, you know what, let's give everybody a, another choice. I think so. That's why we came up with the idea of doing this duck and rut camp.
1: Well I think it's fabulous and folks space is very limited but I like the fact that there's only 10 individuals that participate because you get lots of personalized attention that way. Let's talk about some of the things you'll be covering at this five day elk hunting course.
5: Yes, absolutely. And so the one thing we're going to start off is I want to talk about just shooting in general. I think a lot of people make mistakes. I think we've all heard about the animal that gets away or the big bull that I saw, but he was just a little bit out of range. And so the first thing we're going to teach is about long range hunting. Now, you don't have to be a long range shooter to learn something. You know what I mean? So if you're not actually necessarily interested in shooting a thousand yards, that's fine. But to learn to shoot a thousand yards is going to make you that more successful at 400 yards, 300 yards, 200 yards yards it's just you're you're gaining your skills and how to shoot and there's a lot of obstacles in shooting long range and so we're going to have the top gunworks built rifles at the camp we're going to teach you everything you need to know about long range and for you to be able to shoot it you're going to actually be able to have hands-on experience shooting these rifles and burning a bunch of powder it's going to be a lot of fun oh wow and gunworks known as some of the best when it comes to long range shooting
1: i mean that's a course in and of itself so that's one day what are you going to cover the other days
5: So the other days, we're going to do multiple seminars. The goal is we want to do as much hands-on things as possible. So with hunting gear, setting up camp, we're going to actually bring on some llamas to teach you guys how to to pack up a llama and bring camp in the backcountry. And I think the other thing we're really excited about is we're actually going to have the opportunity to debone two different cow elk. Now, if people don't know what that means, it's a different form of field dressing an animal. Now, a lot of people that may you know kill an animal close to the vehicle you know they're probably used to just splitting it up the belly and just ripping the guts out and dragging the animal to the pickup but in a lot of cases what people limit themselves is because you kill an elk you know that's a 700 pound animal and to think to actually pack that out four to five miles just almost seems like it's out of the question so people limit themselves and where they want to go to hunt elk we're going to teach you a method that's easy and has proven the work and our family uses it for years and i've packed elk several miles in the backcountry, and yeah i mean obviously there's some fitness that has to be involved too but i know a lot of just average joes that do the same thing as we do it's a very simple system it's a way of you know cutting up the animal in pieces but there's a proper way of doing it and a proper way of storing the meat
1: well let's talk about something else here because i know a lot of people are thinking to themselves wait a second you can't hunt elk in June. How are you going to get elk in June to debone? Well, Roy, you've got an answer for that because you just happen to have a private ranch
6: where you can provide those elk, can't you? Yes, John, we do. And uh, we're real excited about this because at our ranch there, we've got a brand new lodge. It's just beautiful. We're so excited about it. It's a 30-year work's coming to life for us, and we're excited to share that. But at this lodge... That's where we'll have, you know, all the accommodations and everything. And back to the elk, we have our own elk. You know, we're a private ranch, and we're a high-fence ranch. We are going to be able to uh, have the opportunity to harvest two elk. Now, two of these participants are going to be able to do the shooting, maybe more, but Tom and Travis, they'll figure that out. We'll do a drawing. Kinda. There you go. So uh, not only do you get to go to
1: the, the elk camp, you might be one of two of ten participants who's going to actually hunt for a cow elk too. So I absolutely love that fact. You know, getting back to the lodge,
6: we should also talk about the food because all the meals are included. What kind of food are you going to serve up? Yeah, so, you know, you're not going to have, like, some crazy, over-the-top chef there. It's what we do is we're a fam- Is it
1: your son that's cooking? <laughs> no.
6: <laughs> no, we're a family operation. My wife and daughter-in-laws and uh, our whole family gets involved. And I'll tell you what, the cooking is out of this world because it's just down-to-earth great home-cooked meals, and there'll be everything there provided. One of the things that brings people back year after year to our lodge is uh, our cooking, our hospitality, and what we do there, so we're excited.
1: How big is your ranch? It's located not far from Yellowstone, not far from Grand Teton, just on the Idaho side of the Wyoming border.
6: Yeah, our location is just spectacular right there, not far from Jackson Hole, Grand Tetons, West Yellowstone—that's another plus that people can, you know, spend a little extra time and go see all the great things that, that are around there. We're all pine trees, quaking aspens—a big, beautiful place—and they're going to really enjoy it.
1: All right. Well, sounds fantastic. There, you now know how you're going to get your elk to bones. Something else we should talk about here. This isn't just for
5: rifle hunters, is it? No, it isn't. So, if, you know, for us, we're we're very much an opportunist type family. You know, growing up. You have archery season, you have rifle season. There's a lot of different types of seasons. And so you also, if you're a big-time archery hunter, we're going to have the chance to help you tune in your bow and get you ready for the archery season because, you know, we're, like I said, we're opportunists. If it's rifle season, we're, we're hunting with a rifle. If it's archery season, we're hunting with a bow. So bring your bows. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely love this. All right, let's talk about the price here. Okay, so the price of this camp, you know, we've really thought about this. We're trying to make it as affordable as we can. It's 5500 bucks and it's well worth it this is an investment of a lifetime because you know you're not going to be paying those guiding fees for years i mean if you look at the price of a guided elk hunt now it's 10 15 grand and some of these hunts i mean even more for depending on the size and quality of the animal but if you learn how to do it yourself on public land you can pull big bulls every single year with just getting a tag over the counter in a lot of these states
1: Oh, I love it. This is an opportunity to invest in your own hunting success for the rest of your life. It's the Stuck in the Rut Elk Camp taking place in eastern Idaho at Idaho Elk Fitters, June 26th through the 30th. The cost $5,500 if you want to register. And again, there's only 10 spaces available. Reach out to Tom or Travis at stuckintherut at com, And it's stuck, the letter N, the rut at com. Important to know, don't put in. Put N, and then you'll be set. One other thing, too, if you want to check out what Idaho Elk Outfitters has to offer, just go to IdahoElkOutfitters.com, and you'll see exactly where you're going to be staying, and look for updated videos at StuckInTheRut.com to find out more about this spectacular camp. Register for this Stuck in the Rut Elk Camp. It's going to be a spectacular opportunity to become a better hunter. Gentlemen, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you. Thank you, John. Sticking with elk hunting, if you're looking for a good rifle to go elk hunting with, consider the Henry long ranger it's been named the best 308 caliber lever action rifle by none other than outdoor life last year and 308 is a good caliber for elk as is the 6.5 creedmoor that's the caliber i have for my henry long ranger lever action rifle the henry long ranger like all of henry repeating arms firearms are made in america they are rugged they're reliable and trust me they shoot straight right out of the box they have a magazine that holds four rounds and And if you put a scope on them, they will reach out and touch an elk at Long Range Indeed. The Henry Long Ranger, look for it at authorized dealers. And if you're looking for those dealers, simply go to henryusa.com. That's henryusa.com. And don't forget to ask for your free decals and catalog.
3: Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, Sharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting goods stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Campers, adventure seekers, hunters, and foodies. No matter the lifestyle, we can all agree on one thing great food and great people are worth remembering. At Camp Chef, we don't just make grills, we create each product knowing that a warm meal is always better when it's shared with those we love. Learn more about Camp Chef grills, smokers, and portable cooking equipment at CampChef.com. That's CampChef.com for a better way to cook outdoors.
1: We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in Southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly... Alaska's Best Lodge. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here. The fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge.
0: Attention, small business owners. This could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You may be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee through the Employee Retention Credit. Call Omega Accounting Solutions to see if your business is eligible to recover payroll tax pay during the pandemic. All it takes is a quick, easy, free, 10-minute consultation to determine your qualifications. Call Omega Accounting Solutions at 800-309-ERC. Omega's knowledgeable staff will streamline the process of filing complicated paperwork. Omega is the small business champion with teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits. CPAs even turn to Omega for ERC guidance. Take advantage of this exclusive small business tax credit before it's too late. The three-year sunset deadline is setting soon. So find out if you qualify today. Call 800-309-ERC. That's 800-309-ERC. Or visit omegataxcredits.com.
1: Next on America Outdoors Radio, have you always wanted to explore Alaska, but maybe not necessarily on a cruise ship, maybe something a little bit more down-to-earth and relaxing? Well, I've got just the thing for you. It's exploring Alaska's marine highway on their ferry system. And with us here to tell you more about that is Danielle Doyle. She is a marketing specialist for the state of Alaska's Department of Transportation. Danielle, welcome to the show.
7: Thank you. Glad to be with you. We talked, I think it
1: was like three, four years ago, and we're long overdue to have this conversation again because your ferry system is absolutely amazing, and a lot of folks are using it to get to their hometowns or the places they work, but there's also people that use it for tourism purposes, too.
7: That's correct. We are part of the Department of Transportation, and we are essential service for Alaskans, but we do have a very extensive route that we cover, all the way from Bellingham, Washington and Prince Rupert in British Columbia, all the way up the inside passage of Alaska across the Gulf. And during the summertime, we also provide service out to the Aleutian Islands all the way to Dutch Harbor. So it's a fantastic way to access all of the coastal communities along Alaska's west coast.
1: Now, I know your ferries come in different shapes and sizes, having been up in the Ketchikan area and seen some of the inner island ferries versus some of the the larger ferries. But let's talk about what these larger ferries look like.
7: Sure. First of all, all of our ferries are passenger and vehicle ferries. So they're not only transporting passengers from community to community, but they're ways that we move freight and vehicles to our city centers. So our mainline vessels run 24-7. They're long-haul ferries. They've got accommodations for you on board as far as staterooms and food service if you're going to be on the ferry for an overnight or even multiple days.
1: And not only can you book a stateroom, I understand from previous conversations, you can literally pitch a tent at certain parts of the ferry and literally camp out on the deck.
7: Absolutely. That's one of the great things about traveling with the ferry is um, it's all up to you, what experience you want to have. And we do allow people to just pitch tents right on the open back decks. It's the best view in the house and you know, it can be a real experience. So you can just walk on with your pack and take a advantage of that view and the open camping on the decks, or you can run a stateroom, as I said, and have a little bit more of a private space for yourself.
1: Now, obviously, in terms of of food and drink, you know, you do have the the restaurants on board. What about those people who are pitching tents? I mean, I'm guessing you probably frown on having propane stoves going on the ferry.
7: (laughs) Absolutely. No propane allowed. No cooking available on the deck. But we do encourage people, if you're going to be on board for a couple of days, you're more than welcome to bring on a cooler with some foods for yourself. Um, And our cafeterias, as you said, we do offer a variety of hot and cold foods with pre-made sandwiches and salads you can grab and go.
1: Let's talk about, you know, pricing. If you're going to hop on the ferry in Bellingham and go up to, you know, whether it be Ketchikan or Juneau or Haynes and Skagway... What's the pricing compared to the typical cruise line?
7: You know, it can be very comparable. It really kind of depends on how you travel. If you walk on board as a foot passenger, it's probably one of the most economical ways that you can travel in Alaska. But if you're going to be on board for multiple days and you're going to get that cabin or you're going to bring a vehicle on board with you, then it can start to add up in price a little bit. But, you know, again, we cover a great distance. So driving all those miles compared to gas prices right now, sometimes it can be very comparable. So I just always people to do their research. And, you know, if they find that price point a little bit high, remember all of our pricing is based on distance. So if you cut down that distance a little bit, you can still experience some travel on the ferry system.
1: How many people are accommodated on your larger ferry? What's the size? You know, on a cruise ship, you're literally traveling with 6,000 of your best friends at a time.
7: Right. Absolutely. No. Our biggest ferries usually accommodate between four and 500 people. So it's a much smaller group. Our vessels are smaller, still ocean-going vessels in some cases, but in very comfortable. To ride on, but you know, we're we're much smaller than those big cruise lines, which gives us access to a lot of the smaller communities and waterways that the cruise lines cannot traverse. Absolutely
1: love that. And I, and I love the more intimate experience that you can get there, especially if you're a do-it-yourselfer sort of person. This is a fantastic vacation to have. Now, something we should talk about, you know, the cruise lines, they go to a city and they might stay overnight or they're there for the full day. Your ferry system doesn't necessarily work that way, does it?
7: No, and because we are focused on transportation, we pull into a port, we disembark passengers, we embark passengers, and then we're usually on our way within a matter of a couple of hours. So we're not in port very long, but one of the beautiful things, things about the ferry system is we are just the transportation. So if you're looking to do something that's a little bit off the beaten path, there's not a cruise itinerary that you can find that really meets the needs of where you want to go and what you want to experience. The ferry is something that you can, you know, tailor to the way you want to travel. So if you want to stop and stay in a community for a couple of days and do some sport fishing or, you know, some hunting in the spring or fall, you can do that. And then you can just catch the next ferry that's headed the direction you want to go. Love
1: it. One other question here, you know, I've been kind of focused on the inside passage here, but I mean, like you said, you go all the way out to the Aleutian Islands. Just how long is the Alaskan Marine Highway?
7: We cover over 3,500 miles from northern Washington and Bellingham all the way across the Gulf out to Dutch Harbor. So 3,500 miles. So that's almost the distance between Key West and Seattle.
1: I'm guessing there's probably a few people who have made this a bucket list thing to do the entire Marine Highway.
7: I get that question a lot yes and it can be done it just (laughs) takes a little bit of time (laughs) yeah
1: I am sure it does and there's probably certain times of year you don't want to go especially if you're heading to the Aleutian Islands so definitely make it a summer trip folks but speaking of that this ferry system it is popular so you need to book early don't you
7: correct and i usually try to tell people book anywhere between 30 and 90 days prior to your travel if you're going to be traveling with a vehicle then you want to lean a little bit further out because our car decks do fill quickly for the summer months
1: all right well if you want to explore alaska's marine highway the website to go to is very simple just go to ferryalaska.com FerryAlaska.com, and make plans to see Alaska on the water in a very different way than you ever would from a cruise ship. Danielle, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio.
7: Thanks. Glad to be with you.
1: And now it's time for one of my favorite segments.
7: It's record fish time.
1: From the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, we learn a Davenport, Washington angler made quite the surprising catch while fishing for walleye at Lake Roosevelt on February 11th. Gavin Boggs, who spends a lot of time fishing at Lake Roosevelt, a huge impoundment of the Columbia River stretching more than 150 miles from Grand Coulee Dam into Canada, was out with his college buddy near the Lincoln Boat Launch when he hooked into something very big and very heavy. In Bogg's words, I was targeting walleye at a depth of around 75 feet using a four inch swim bait, and it was a pretty tough day on the water. Now, Boggs, who is a junior at Gonzaga University, said, We did mark a lot of fish on the fish finder and caught one walleye before this big fish took my lure. Boggs, whose family has a place at Seven Bays towards the southern end of Lake Roosevelt, fought the fish for a couple of minutes and said it didn't pull a lot of line off his reel, though he knew it was rather heavy from the bend in his fishing rod bog said as soon as i hooked it i thought it was a big walleye i carefully let the fish do its thing down below the boat and then when it came to the surface and we netted the fish i was totally surprised i've never targeted lake whitefish in lake roosevelt it is my favorite place to fish for smallmouth bass and walleye and this has changed my mind about fishing for lake whitefish It being late in the day, the duo returned to the boat ramp and Gavin texted his dad, who did some research on Lake Whitefish and told his son that he could potentially have landed a state record. Boggs immediately iced the fish in a cooler and drove from Seven Bays to Davenport Family Foods in Lincoln County where a certified scale certified the weight at 7.86 pounds. The store owner, a friend of the Boggs family, actually stayed late just so Gavin could have the fish officially weighed. Gavin then took the fish to the Department of Fish and Wildlife regional office in Spokane on Valentine's Day where a biologist helped with the paperwork and verification process. The new state record Lake Whitefish is 26.25 inches long with a girth of 16 inches and was signed off as the new record on February 17th. The old state record weighed 7.5 pounds and was caught a year earlier by Jacob White at Cox Lake in Franklin County in southern Washington. And here's something kind of cool. The former record owner actually reached out to Gavin on Facebook to congratulate him and to officially pass the torch. As big as this whitefish was, there are some that are even bigger. State fish biologists have done netting surveys and have actually caught lake whitefish out of Lake Roosevelt weighing over nine and a half pounds so this record might not stand for long but while it does gavin boggs you have a lot to celebrate i am very happy for you
7: congratulations on your new record
1: On that note, we've got to wrap things up. Like I said at the beginning of the show, if you're looking for something to do, there's quite a few sportsman shows coming up in the weeks ahead. And the weather, I think after this cold, wintry spell we just had, might just start getting nicer and might just beckon us outdoors to do a little fishing and wildlife watching and maybe even some early season turkey hunting. That all sounds fun to me. Until next time, be healthy, be blessed, and do remember this. It is your country and your outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it.